Gordon kindly read to us the first half of Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 3. And I want to focus our attention for a few minutes this morning, with the Lord's help, on uh, the last few verses uh, that we uh, read together. I give you as our text Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, and the verses from 16 to 19. Mark 3, verses 16 to 19, where we have Mark's list of the names of Jesus' uh, twelve uh, disciples. Uh, we find similar lists in Matthew's Gospel, in uh, Luke's Gospel, and in Luke's second volume, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. I say similar because, of course, they contain the same names, although in the different lists they are sometimes uh, given in a slightly uh, different order. Uh, but the name of these uh, twelve uh, men who accompanied Jesus... Uh, during the three years of his public ministry here upon the earth. And uh, there are some of them whom we know a lot about, and there are others of them whom we know a very little about. Some of them, uh, they're mentioned in these lists, and that's about the only time they're mentioned anywhere in the Gospels. Others of them appear time and again in the different episodes of Jesus' life and ministry that are recorded for us uh, by the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and uh, John. I'm calling the message from God's Word this morning, More Than Just Names. More Than Just Names. These disciples weren't just names, uh, they were characters, uh, like we, we all are. And my name's Jeremy, your name is whatever your name is. But you could know my name without really knowing me. I could know your name without really knowing you. So we have names here, but behind each name is a character. But what I want us to notice particularly from these verses this morning uh, is uh, three details that Mark, writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, uh, gives uh, to us. He doesn't just give us the 12 names, but he gives to us uh, three additional details. He writes about Simon, verse 16, to whom Jesus gave the name Peter. Secondly, he writes about James and John, these two brothers, in verse 17, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. That is, sons of thunder. And uh, thirdly, in uh, verse 19, Mark writes about Judas Iscariot, who he tells us also betrayed Jesus. Now we know that no detail given to us in Scripture is insignificant. So we are told each of these things are for a reason. Each of these details tells us something about the relevant disciple or disciples. So we know Simon, Jesus called him Peter. And we know James and John, uh, Jesus uh, nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And we know, tragically, Judas Iscariot. He was the one who would, in time, betray the Lord Jesus uh, to uh, death. But as well as each of these details telling us something about the relevant disciple or disciples, I am persuaded that each of these details tells us something about the way of salvation. 
And so I want us to take each of these details, think about them in turn this morning, and see what we can learn from each one. So number one, Peter teaches us that Jesus is the only solid ground. Peter teaches us that Jesus is the only solid ground. Verse 16, the first of these 12 disciples to be mentioned in Mark's list, Simon, to whom Jesus gave the name Peter. So sometimes we read of him in the gospel accounts as Simon. Other times we read of him as Peter. Sometimes we read of him as Simon Peter. But his original name was Simon. But the name that Jesus chose to give him for specific reason was the name Peter. What's the significance of this name Peter uh, that Jesus gave uh, to uh, Simon? Well, we discover that in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 42, where Jesus uh, calls Simon uh, Cephas, that's the Aramaic for Peter, and uh, we're told you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. This word Peter, it speaks of a stone or of a rock. And then the Lord Jesus, later on in his public ministry, uh, we read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 18. Uh, Jesus uh, says uh, to Peter, in the hearing of the other disciples, you are Peter, and on this rock, a play on Peter's name, on this rock, I will build my church. So the significance of this name, Peter, is this idea of the stone or, or of, of the rock. But this then begs the question, who is the rock? And different people have had different ideas down the ages. Some people have said, well, Peter himself is the rock. And there is truth in that because Peter and his fellow disciples who became the apostles, all of them except Judas who would betray him, Peter and his fellow disciples were those whom Jesus would use to build his church. So there is truth in the fact that Peter himself is the rock. Others have said that Peter's profession is the rock. Because those words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, follow hard on the heels of Peter's uh, exclamation just a couple of verses earlier, Matthew 16, verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The context there is that all sorts of people are saying all sorts of things about Jesus, trying to work out who he is and what he's about. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds on his own behalf, and as often was the case as the spokesman for the others, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it is upon that profession that the church of Jesus Christ is built. But also, there are those who say, well, no, Jesus Christ is the rock. Peter points us to Jesus. We sometimes sing on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
And that hymn really takes its cue from one of the parables of Jesus. Maybe you're familiar with it, one of the stories Jesus told about the two builders. You remember the one fellow who built his house upon the rock and the other who built his house upon the sand. And as the children's chorus tells us what happened, well, the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up. The house on the rock stood firm, but the house on the sand fell flat. And Jesus said he's likening himself to the rock and he is calling us to build our lives upon him. Not upon the shifting sands of this world, but upon reality as it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter himself is the rock. Peter's profession is the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. I don't think we have to choose between these interpretations. There is a truth in them all. But what we must understand is that Jesus isn't the rock because Peter is the rock. No, Peter is the rock because Jesus is the rock. Peter could build his life on solid ground because Jesus Christ is that solid ground. So, Peter the Rock points us this morning to Jesus the Rock and teaches us that Jesus is the only solid ground. If we would build our lives on solid ground for time, if we would build our lives on solid ground for eternity, then we must build our lives on the Rock, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, all that he is and all that he is. Has done. So Peter teaches us that Jesus is the only solid ground. Number two, James and John teach us that we all need awakening. James and John teach us that we all need awakening. Verse 17, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom Jesus gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Now this is the only time uh, that this is uh, mentioned in the Gospels. And uh, no explanation is given, so we must be careful what we say about it. But at the same time, we, we recognize that Jesus must have had a reason for giving these men uh, this uh, nickname. And that that reason would have been positive. That's not always the way, is it, when, uh, when, you, have, uh, when you have nicknames for people. I don't know. People probably have nicknames for their pastor. And if they do, then the pastor would probably be the last person to know what they were. But perhaps we can think back to, to school days, maybe. And you think about the playground, and you think about nicknames. And, and we all had nicknames for one another then, didn't we? And generally, they weren't terribly complimentary, were they? You know, you tended to pick up on the, the one thing that was slightly strange or odd about a person, and, and you turned that into their nickname. I don't believe that's what Jesus is doing here. I don't believe he's making fun of James and John. I don't believe he's demeaning them. I believe he must have called them this name for a positive reason. Did you know that thunder is mentioned 42 times in the Bible? Now, sometimes it's just talking about the weather. But on, on many occasions, it's uh, speaking about the Lord 
thundering. Such as, just to give you one example among many that I could give you, Psalm 29 verse 3 says, The God of glory thunders. So God is spoken of in the scriptures as the one who thunders. There's only one other reference to thunder in the Gospels. And you find that in John's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 29. I want to read you just a few verses from that chapter. John 12, let's begin at verse 27. Jesus Christ is speaking. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. This passage in John 12 comes at a significant point in the uh, evolution of Christ's earthly ministry. He's heading towards Calvary, towards the cross, where he would suffer in our place and for our sin. And uh, he's talking about this, and and there's a voice from heaven, as occasionally there was during his earthly life and ministry, as his father spoke audibly from heaven. People said it was like thunder, as this voice uh, thundered from uh, on high. So John 12 speaks of God's thundering voice. And I think Jesus called James and John the sons of thunder because they, among others, would thunder forth the thunderous message of the thundering God. Now you might say, isn't God gentle? And uh, yes, in many ways, he is. But God, he does not speak a monotone. No, sometimes he speaks ever so gently. Other times he speaks thunderously. Often he speaks gently, but he also speaks thunderingly. And I'm connecting this morning this idea of God's thundering voice with the idea of our being awakened, awakened from spiritual death, awakened to spiritual life, awakened to the realities of sin and death and judgment and hell, of salvation and eternal life and glory and heaven. We sometimes sing a hymn which includes this line, speak with the voice That wakes the dead and make thy people hear. God's thundering voice is the voice that wakes the dead. It awakens us from our sleep and it gives us to hear the wonderfully good news of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to be made to hear. We would never hear unless the Lord made us to hear. But how thankful we should be for the thundering forth of the thunderous message of the thundering God 
But our God is the God who through his servants like James and John thunders that we might be awakened and brought from death to life and from the power of Satan into the kingdom of God. So James and John teach us that we all need awakening. Number three, Judas teaches us that nothing's more tragic than hypocrisy. Judas teaches us that nothing's more tragic than hypocrisy. Verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. I find Judas one of the most fascinating characters anywhere in the scriptures. Perhaps you think that sounds rather twisted or perverse. Of course, he's not there uh, to set us a good example. But he is there to teach us and for our learning. And it's striking to notice that Judas Iscariot is never mentioned in the gospel narratives without mention being made of the fact that he was the one who would betray the Lord Jesus Christ to death. Judas was many things. But Judas was a first-class, first-rank hypocrite. Our English word hypocrisy uh, comes uh, from a a, a Greek word which has to do with uh, play-acting. Speaks of pretending to be one thing while in reality being another. And Judas, I say, is the epitome of hypocrisy. I believe we could say without fear of contradiction that there has never been a greater hypocrite in this world than Judas Iscariot. But hypocrisy is a danger for all of us. Judas is to the fore in a number of places in the Gospels, but one of the most significant is in John's Gospel and chapter 13, where Jesus is in what we call the upper room uh, with his disciples the night before he would be crucified at Calvary. And uh, they're having the Last Supper where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper communion like we'll be having tonight with bread and wine and so on. And, And all of a sudden in the middle of that evening they're spending together, John 13 verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, one of you, will betray me. One of you will betray me. And this was a great shock to, to his disciples. And you read the narrative and you get the impression of they're, they're looking at one another and they're looking at Jesus and they're looking at one another and they're looking at Jesus. And then again, uh, Simon Peter, so often the spokesman, he asks verse 25, Lord, who is it? And I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus says it's the one to whom I'm going to give this bread. And and he gives the bread to Judas, to Judas Iscariot. And Judas takes the bread and we're told as soon as he took the bread, he went out. And we're told when he went out, it was night. Because it's always night, whether literally or metaphorically, when you walk out on Jesus, when you turn your back on Jesus. 
him. But this is a thing, friends. No one guessed it was Judas. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, the disciples didn't respond by saying, well, we all know who that is, don't we? As they all glare at Judas Iscariot. But they didn't react that way at all. They're completely nonplussed. They can't begin to imagine which one of the twelve it would be. Judas seemed no more likely than the others. You see, he was a hypocrite. He had played a convincing part. He appeared to everyone a disciple on the outside. But though he appeared a disciple on the outside, he had never really truly been a disciple on the inside. And Judas is teaching us this morning that there's nothing more tragic than hypocrisy. Discipleship begins on the inside. It begins in our hearts. And we must be disciples on the inside if we would ever really, truly be disciples on the outside. Discipleship begins, what did Jesus say? We saw this a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 1 as he began his public ministry. What did he say? Repent and believe. Judas had never truly repented. He had never really believed. He put on a good act. He played a good part. But eventually, his hypocrisy was exposed. And all hypocrisy will ultimately be exposed. Whether in this life or in the world to come. If we have never been truly disciples on the inside, then we will ultimately be exposed. So don't settle for a mere profession of Jesus Christ. To say you know him, to say you love him, to say you trust him, but in reality to know your heart is far from him. But settle only for a real possession of Jesus Christ. To know that truly you've repented and turned from your sin. Truly you're believing and trusting in him. That truly you're, you're staking your all, your everything upon Jesus Christ. And no one and nothing means more to you than him. So Peter teaches us that Jesus is the only solid ground. James and John teach us that we all need awakening. And Judas teaches us. That nothing's more tragic than hypocrisy. I said earlier, called the message from God's word this morning more than just names. The disciples were. Each and every one of them was more than just a name. Behind each name was a character. And as we've said, we all are. We each have our names, but we are not just our names. We are many and varied individuals. But as for the disciples 2,000 years ago, so for you and me today, Nothing matters more than our relationship to Jesus Christ. Whatever our names might be, whatever our personality traits, whatever our backstory, whatever the particular situation or circumstances in which we find ourselves this Sunday morning, nothing matters more than our relationship to Jesus Christ. 
because he's the only solid ground. We all need awakening and there's nothing more tragic than hypocrisy. Let me ask you, my friend, this morning, have you ever truly prayed? Have you ever prayed, Lord Jesus, may I not be a hypocrite, but a real Christian? One to whom Christ means everything, and to whom everything means Christ. Have you ever truly prayed, Lord Jesus, Awaken me to eternal realities. Awaken me to my sin. Awaken me to the reality of death and judgment. Awaken me to the reality of heaven and hell. Awaken me to the reality of your salvation, which you offer to me freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever truly prayed, Lord Jesus Help me turn from my sin and trust in you. Trust in you, Jesus, that life you lived that I could never live, that perfect life. Trust in you, Jesus, that death you died, that you died for me, paying the penalty for my sin. Trust in you, Jesus, who rose from the dead and is alive forever and ever and gives eternal life to all who trust in you. Lord Jesus, may I not be a hypocrite but a real Christian. Lord Jesus, awaken me to eternal realities. Lord Jesus, help me turn from my sin and trust in you. No doubt we've each got our names on various lists. Perhaps there are some lists you'd like to have your name on. And no doubt there are other lists you, you don't want your name to be on. But we've all got our names on various lists. In one place in the Gospels, Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus said to his disciples, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. God has a list. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book is written the name of all who will trust in Jesus Christ as Saviour and as Lord. How can you know that your name is written there? Not by being a Judas and being a hypocrite. But by hearing God's thundering voice that would awaken you this morning. And by realizing that Jesus is the only solid ground. And coming to him and running to him and casting yourself entirely upon him.